Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. And welcome to From Shelter Dogs to Service Dogs with Janice Wolf. Well, today, as promised, we're going to have a little chat about some of the animal rights groups that, well, for those like for those of you who aren't familiar, um, well, they say one thing and they do another. There are certain groups that are actually using the money that you donate and they're actually supporting other causes that you may not be interested in having them support. For instance, and I'm sure I'll hear somebody complaining, PETA, who I used to donate money to when I was a young idealistic teenager thinking, well, I want all animals to be treated ethically, as my little puppies are treated beautifully and ethically. But the problem is that, unfortunately, there are people who are doing things to make money and to advance their own agendas. And it's not just them. There are a number of these large groups. You have to be careful. If you go on to the websites and you do a little research, you'll actually find that, for example, PETA, do you know what their mission is? to end companion animal ownership. They consider that for us to own a dog is enslaving the dog. That's a really interesting concept. I sit on the floor and my dogs live on the couches. They eat organic. They eat $10 a pound organic chicken from King's. And uh, my little puppies that you hear screaming in the background because I have them in the studio they are very, very, very well fed, well cared for. Mommy has all organic food. Mommy has my California King Select Comfort uh, mattress, uh, bed to lie on, and beautiful furniture. And they're comfortable, and I'm sitting on the floor. And most of you guys know what I'm talking about because that's what we do when we love our dogs. We love our pets. We give them better than we even give ourselves. Now, are some dogs in some places abused or neglected? Unfortunately, yes. And those are the people we have to crack down on. But to say that there are no good people that can own an animal because it's enslaving the animal, uh, Whispity Bunny Dog, come over here. Whisper's coming. Whisper, do you feel like you're a slave? She says, only to these puppies. I like my sister's puppies. My dogs and most of the people listening, you guys actually, um, you know, are taking better care of your dogs than you are of yourself. Well, the reason that these groups are getting involved, because if we think, oh, gee, you know, look, they're helping animals. Well, yeah, we're all going to donate to help animals, but don't donate to these big groups. When you start looking at the small grassroots groups, um, the, the ones that are hands-on, the ones that are in the community, the local rescues, like 11th Hour Rescues, which is one of my favorite rescues in the world, and some of the smaller rescues, even though 11th Hour does about 4,000 dogs a year that they rescue, you know, we're talking about having so many, um, you know, unwanted dogs. But you know why they're unwanted dogs? They're not grand champion Rhodesian Ridgeback like mine that are unwanted. I've got a list a mile long for them. But you know what I do? When people call up and they say, hey, you know what, I want one of your puppies, I'm willing to wait. Well, the first thing I do, as why it gives me a big kiss, 
Wyatt, you're my slave. He goes, no, Mommy, you're mine. You're right. Mommy is your slave. Well, you know, that that's the whole thing is that when you give money that, like, to 11th Hour or to Merlin's kids, uh, 855-HI-WYATT, we take these shelter and rescue dogs, we rehabilitate them, we train them to become service dogs, and it's a very long, tedious process, but we don't just take them out of a shelter and throw a vest on them and give them away in two weeks for $5,000 like some of these people are doing to rip people off. We actually do it the right way, and it does take a long time, and it's okay that it takes a long time. It's just that, you know, obviously these dogs in shelters and rescues they got there through no fault of their own. Some of them might have been aggressive or might have had behavioral issues, but many of them were just owned by stupid people. Now, you can't fix stupid, right, Ron White? You can't fix stupid. We've tried. Many of us have tried, and you can't do it. But the problem is that when we're talking about having a dog who is in a shelter, why did it wind up in the shelter? It's either that the owner's didn't know what to do or didn't have time for it or didn't put in any um, any training or any behavioral rehabilitation or behavioral modification from the beginning. So sometimes dogs don't wind up great, like children don't always wind up great. We have axe murderers and we have jails for axe murderers. So same thing with dogs. Now, let me explain, and maybe I'll do this in the next segment because I think I'm going to need more than three and a half minutes to be able to explain this. But if you do it the right way, I want to explain the right way in the next segment to be able to breed and care for all of your dogs. If we're going to be breeding dogs, now, first of all, if we're breeding a dog and let's say, oh, I have a German Shepherd and my neighbor has a lab, okay, we're going to have puppies because I want my kids to experience the joy of birth, okay? Well, I would normally say, well, go have your wife have another baby and have your kids watch, but really probably don't want you to procreate again. So let's just, let's do it this way. If you take your mixed breed dog or your pure breed, poorly bred dog that doesn't have genetic uh, testing, that hasn't been checked for its heart and its eyes and its its, uh, bone structure, if it doesn't have bear and surf, and if it doesn't have hips done, elbows done, thyroid panel checked, because if we don't have, you know, a dog who's um, Brandy, Brandy's taking care of her puppies, and one of them is nursing a little too hard. Hey, you're shushing them, Brandy, good girl, honey. But if you think about that, you're taking a dog who doesn't have good genetics, and you're breeding it to another dog who might not have good genetics. Well, not that that means anything, but if you have a dog that's not a grand champion or champion show dog that's been bred specifically to have good hips and elbows and thyroid and the clear bear and surf and have a great, great temperament and live a really long time because a wonderful hobby breeder, which is what I am, and, and most good breeders are hobby breeders, we're just worried about making the breeds better. So if you don't do it the right way, then you're, of course, those are always the ones they have 13 puppies or 15 puppies, and all the puppies live because, of course, they do. Or the people who are breeding pit bulls, the kids, the 17-year-olds, the 18-year-old kids in the inner city who are breeding dogs, knowing that these dogs are going to either inflict terrible pain and agony on another animal or human, 
or that they're going to have that incredible pain and agony themselves. They're, this is wrong. These are the people that PETA and HSUS and Humane, American Humane and everybody has to go after. But they don't because that requires money. And why would we waste money on going to right the wrongs out there when we can complain and get more money for our coffers and get bigger salaries? And that's unfortunately what happens. I am all for spay and neuter. I get very upset when people allow their dog to be uh, bred or become pregnant or impregnate another dog if it's not a dog that should be bred. Just because you have purebred dogs doesn't mean, like if you say, well, my dog's a purebred German Shepherd. Okay, well, that's great because if you haven't had DNA done, you don't even know who the parents really are. You literally have no idea. So you don't know what that dog is. But if you're not going to go spend the money on hips, elbows, thyroids, on Wildebrand's disease and the degenerative myelopathy and a lot of other things, yes, it's expensive. But if you're going to breed your dog, you get your dog a championship or you make sure it's from very, very tight champion lines. And then, you know what? If you want to breed it to another dog who's a super champion, you can do that. But please don't breed your dog so your kids can see the joy of birth. Let them see the joy of death. Let them see a dog who dies in the gas chamber. Let you want them to see life, that's life. Well, I won't rant yet, but stay tuned. We'll be right back. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. NuVet Plus, your pet's best friend. NuVet Plus is an immune system builder that is safe for all stages of your dog's life. Helps eliminate most issues, including allergies, scratching and itching, hot spots, arthritis and joint issues, chronic ear infections, tear staining, lack of energy, digestive issues, and so much more. All natural, manufactured in an FDA-registered human pharmaceutical lab here in the USA, using ingredients sourced in the USA. Nothing artificial. No sugars, wheat, corn, or dyes. Never heat-treated to help retain all the natural, rich ingredients. Comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee, and it's only pennies a day. Call us Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 1-800-474-7044. That's 1-800-474-7044. And tell them you are referred by All Paws Pet Talk Radio. Or go online to www.nuvet.com. That's www.nuvet.com. Use order code 33955. Again, www.nuvet.com. Order code 3395. Put your pet on the path to good health. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. And welcome back to From Shelter Dogs to Service Dogs with Janice Wolf. And I just wanted to send a quick, quick shout out again to my good friend Pam Kavaleski, Cindy L. Hope your mom's doing better. We love you. Um, to Jody Joseph to some of our amazing Jesse in Tennessee and Laren in Missouri and all of our amazing UKP people and our Merlin's Kids people around the country and around the world. You guys are the best, and, and I just love teaching you, and I love having you out there doing the best job and helping me and helping us to be able to save more dogs from senseless euthanasia. You know, 4 million they say anywhere between 3 and 5 million. Let's say it's 4 million dogs a year dying. 
4 million dogs. Now, how many of those 4 million dogs that are dying every year being euthanized because somebody abandoned them or didn't know what to do or bred them poorly or allowed their dog to get pregnant or some stupid kids who are breeding pit bulls or any other dogs to fight? You know, you get to a point where you just kind of get sick of it after a while. I mean, I'm listening to these beautiful sounds, and I'm in the whelping box, and that little one who's screaming, that's Bruiser. Well, he's got four white feet, and he's adorable. But Bruiser, because he can't get into his mommy, he's, he's screaming. Well, now, if I wanted to ruin him, I could do it right now, and I could push everyone away, and I could put him there. But that would just teach him that all he had to do was whine, Mommy, 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 and then I'll go and give him what he wants, and I'll create a spoiled brat who will be very difficult to live with. Well, I'm not going to do that because the mama dog, Brandy, is a fantastic, fantastic mommy, and she can take care of that all on her own. But here's your problem. Out of those 4 million dogs being euthanized every year, how many uh, of my Grand Champion Rhodesian Ridgebacks or puppies do you think there are? Zero. How many Grand Champion purebred show dogs do you think there are being euthanized? Maybe what? Maybe somebody has a temperament issue or maybe, God forbid, somebody has a health issue as they get older or somebody wasn't bred quite right and they had a problem. But you look at it, yes, there are purebred dogs, and people always say that, but certain breeds like Ridgebacks and Vichlas and a lot of the um, points, I'm sure they're pointers, English pointers, they all have, all of us have a parent club, and we have breed rescues that will actually be in touch with their local shelters and make sure that there are none of them being euthanized. So if a dog comes in, let's say, for instance, a Rhodesian Ridgeback comes in, we have rescues all over the country. This is not a Merlin's Kids or United Canine Professionals. This is just the Ridgeback Club of the U.S. So if we have, um, you know, dogs then, that are, um, you know, that are possibly uh, being, um, you know, being uh, uh, euthanized or or they're given up to a shelter, well, we are going to police ourselves and we're going to find out who was that breeder who gave up on that dog and didn't take that dog back. And we are going to go after that person and, you know, take it up with them because you can't do that. If you're in one of our breed clubs... You cannot, and I mean you cannot, um, keep, keep giving dogs up because we will find out who it is, and then once people find out who it is, you know, you're going to basically get drummed out of the business. So it's very, very important that you deal with somebody, if you're going to be dealing with a dog, deal with somebody who's a legitimate, reputable breeder, but you're not going to see certain dogs euthanized. And that happens because, you know, of course, there are people who love the breed and care about the breed. Most of the dogs euthanized are, believe it or not, Chihuahuas, number one dog euthanized, Pitbulls, number two, and then probably Lab mixes are number three. Uh, maybe Hound mix is number four. But most of the time when there's a, a purebred dog, especially a well-bred one, uh, the breeder who bred that dog and put all that time and energy and money and love into the dog is going to take that dog back. Why would you take the dog back? Because if the dog has a problem or if the dog has, you know, something going on with the temperament or physically, the breeder, the hobby breeder, is going to go in there and say, hey, 
we not, we're not going to breed this mother and father again because it produced a defective, you know, litter or something. We want to breed to better our breed. So when you're breeding to better your breed, what does that mean? What's the difference between a breeder of champions and grand champion show dogs versus somebody who's a quote-unquote breeder of Maltipoos or Cavachons or Golden Doodles or whatever crazy Sharpay Cocker Spaniels. I've seen three of those now. If you want to talk about a gigantic mess with that. But those are not breeders. A breeder breeds, by definition, to better the breed. The breeder breeds to make the dogs live longer, have better temperaments, look more beautiful, have better conformation. You know, everything, good health while they're old. You know, I've, I look at my dogs, and last three Ridgebacks I lost were 15, 15 and a half, and 16. They don't live that long, Ridgebacks, but mine do. I have them on all organic food. I have them on all organic vitamins. I use the NuVet, N-U-V-E-T.com, and uh, you can tell the Merlin's kids. Uh, order code uh, 40560 sent you, and we have amazing success with the vitamins. Well, no, they're you know they're 40, 50 cents a day for for a pill, but my dogs look amazing. They're the most gorgeous slaves you've ever seen. And you know it's it's kind of a funny thing because as a breeder, as a real breeder, I breed to make my breed better. I don't breed for money because the month and a half that I have to spend living in the whelping box with my puppies and watching them 24-7, I could be making a lot more money as my as a canine behaviorist fixing people's dogs that are aggressive. But I choose to do this to make a more beautiful breed, to make more beautiful dogs that will live a very long, healthy life, that have a definite, uh, beautiful temperament, and that people will just think it's the best dog in the world. The problem is, and it's not a, a matter of, you know, don't ever breed mixed breed dogs, but you know what? Don't ever breed mixed breed dogs. There are enough of them out there. And this is what bothers me. 28 years ago or so when I started working with um, uh, with mixed breed dogs and rescue dogs that were, uh, you know, had problems. Um, you know, and I would go into the shelter rescue, and this was before there were so many rescues. Now there are like 10,000 rescues just probably in New Jersey. Everybody's a rescue all of a sudden instead of banding together. They're all individual people just all trying to, uh, you know, trying to have their own rescue because they want to run it the way they want to run it. But uh, the problem is that you lose a lot of your contact and you lose a lot of the ability that you have to um, to work with, uh, you know, with other uh, rescues and other groups because, of course, you know, you're one of, you know, many instead of being one of a, of a very large group that has more contact. That's the biggest thing I see with uh, people trying to, the rescues break up because you get contact and you're able, you know, when you're a little bigger as a rescue, not huge, but when you're bigger, like a, like 11th Hour, which does such a great job, they have transport contacts. They have a transport coordinator. They can get a dog, do the right thing, and almost immediately get that dog out of a dangerous situation. When you're a little rescue or when you're 
you know, not doing it at all the right way, that's where people don't know what to do and they get stuck and they have to give dogs up. We're going to talk more in a moment, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. When it comes to health expenses, dog owners have it rough. Now, thanks to veterinarian and dermatologist Dr. Kristen Holm, your dog can be goo healthy. There's Doggy Goo to fight environmental pet allergies, Goo Gut Rescue for rescuing your dog's gut health, and Goo Silver, a broad-spectrum supplement for the special needs of your senior varsity dog. So visit HealthyGoo.com today or call 855-246-2426 and your dog can be Healthy Goo. Healthy. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Oh boy, I'll tell you, this is this is just one of those days. I wanted to add into something with the ice and snow that we're having. Even Dallas got ice. I love it. So you you guys are just, we'll call you Western Jersey then, I guess. But the problem is also that in this weather, and we're we'll talking about breeding dogs, a lot of dogs do not like just naturally water or ice or snow or maybe hot weather. You know, you take something like a bulldog or any of the bully breeds or pugs, you got to be really careful in the summer because they're brachiocephalic. They don't have uh, a nose. Their, their, their muzzle is very, very short. And as a result, they don't have an ability to cool themselves well and efficiently in the summer, and they don't have a way really to heat themselves or heat the air coming into their nostrils, through their nose, through their muzzle, into their lungs, uh, you know, because their nose isn't long. So like a giraffe is a great animal to be able to cool itself because when it exhales, it's got so much surface area to be able to send out all of that heat that's in the body and dissipate the heat. Same thing. Uh, in the cold, the, the throat is able to warm the air before it gets into the lungs and shocks them. So some of the breeds, like bulldogs, even though I love them, they're adorable, and I actually just rescued one, my little Muggsy, I love him. Um, but, you know, there is there naturally, like in nature, bulldogs and many of those bully breeds would not exist. They couldn't. I'm not, I'm not talking about pit bulls. That's not actually a breed. That's just a combination of, of breeds. But... A lot of these dogs, even Boston Terriers, the dogs that have a very large head in proportion to their body, they cannot be born naturally. So a big, a, like an English Bulldog, they, they are automatically, you've got to get a C-section. Well, that tells me something. If, if I've got a dog that can't even be born naturally, chances are that, you know, that dog is probably not going to be one that is going to survive in, uh, in nature and is going to, you know, make it into the next ice age with us, I don't think so. So start looking at the health of your dog. Start looking at the temperament of your dog. And look at why your dog does what your dog does. So let's say, like what happened last night, I happened to be just outside and was out with, uh, well, I don't even know who I had out, but I know I had a bunch of dogs out. I want to say I had most of the pack out. And I know Romeo and Savannah were in the house. And all of a sudden, 
this big chunk of ice, like an icicle, fell from the, the top of my house, and it fell, it hit the deck, like the railing on the deck, right near the window in the bedroom, and the ice bounced up, bounced into the window, and shattered my window. I had uh, Savannah and Romeo inside, and I had about, I don't know, seven or eight of my Ridgebacks outside. Thankfully, my dogs know that when I call them, it's important, and you do it now. So I told Romeo and Savannah to go on the bed to get away from the window, and they complied immediately because they're beautiful, perfect. I love them. And then I did the same with my pack with Wyatt and Wispa and Brandy and Fallon. Remember, Brandy's got her puppies. And, uh, the, and Kira Puppy and, and Lexi and everybody. But what happened was, because of the glass, Two of them, actually Romeo, had some a couple of cuts on his face, on his muzzle, and so did Brandy. Brandy actually had quite a few on her muzzle just because they were the ones that were kind of closer at the time. So I wanted to mention that to everybody to please be careful and really be aware of, you know, falling ice or a limb of a tree. There are so many accidents that happen, especially in this kind of weather where, you know, there's, there's it's so dry, and then it's very, very wet like it is now, and the tree, and it's frozen, so the trees aren't quite as strong. And unfortunately, you know, if a piece of ice falls, or if a tree branch falls, or, you know, anything that's hanging, just be really careful, and be aware also that when it's a really, really frigid cold temperature, like it was yesterday, like 7 degrees here in New Jersey, the glass actually gets more fragile. It gets more brittle unless it's tempered, and obviously that was not tempered. I didn't know that, but I'm putting in tempered glass in the window next time. So, you know, the goal is that what we want to do is make sure that our dogs are safe, that our dogs are able to uh, live long, healthy lives, and that we do not feel like we are enslaving them, and they should certainly never feel like they are enslaved by us. Um, My dogs, I think, probably realistically think that I'm their slave. And that's pretty true. I am their slave. I give them everything, and I do all the things for them that I possibly can because I love them. And I'm not going to let anybody tell me that I can't continue to have my beautiful, beautiful, healthy, gorgeous, well-behaved, AKC Ace Award winning, grand champion, Westminster winning dogs by my side because I love them. And they are what makes my life worthwhile. As, as I'm sure many of you are thinking right now. But just be aware, because unfortunately there are a lot of groups out there, when you go, donate money, you're actually donating money to the people who are trying to shut down the, uh, the ability of people like you to have not only have a dog, but to have a purebred dog, to have a cat, to have a rabbit, to have anything. They would like for all of us, to be vegan, which I'm not going to say that's a bad idea or a good idea. But, you know, people are, are omnivores. We have, we, you know, I go into my physiology lesson again, anatomy and physiology. You know, we have people who are, uh, you know, we have the, the cutting teeth in the front, which is going to be for vegetables or for, you know, things like that, grains. We have our canine teeth, which is even why they call them canines, which are for ripping, and then we have the other canines right kind of their their 
kind of a premolar, but they almost sometimes on some people look almost like a canine. We have those which are for uh, ripping. And then we have our molars, which are the ones in the back, which are for grinding and chopping. So we are, by our teeth, and that's how you can tell, and that's how scientists and archaeologists can tell what an animal ate, it's by the teeth that it had. So if it has big, flat teeth like a horse or a cow, well, hello. Obviously, if it has big, flat, grinding teeth, it's for vegetables and it's for grasses. If you have very sharp teeth, like if you look at your dog, your dog doesn't have flat teeth. His molars are still incisors. They're really ripping teeth. So if dogs were supposed to eat vegetables and fruit, they wouldn't have teeth that are, that are serrated in some cases, and that would be um, the shape they are or the size they are. The reason the dog's teeth are like that is just dogs eat meat. Same thing with cats. You have to look at what an animal eats. Think about a tiger or a lion's teeth versus a cow's teeth. Lion or tiger has a lot of sharp, very large teeth for ripping, and a cow or a horse has very flat, wide teeth for grinding. You don't have to grind meat. You have to grind fruits or vegetables or grains. You're not going to be ripping at a vegetable, but you are going to have to rip into an antelope or a deer or whatever you and your pack is killed that night. But please be very careful when you start to donate money to any of these groups because, unfortunately, very little of it actually goes to the group. At Merlin's Kids, www.merlinskids.org, 100% of what you give goes directly towards providing free service dogs, for kids with autism and other special needs, diabetic alert dogs, seizure alert dogs, and, of course, all the other wonderful types of service dogs that we do, including for veterans. And we do legitimate service dogs, not just, hey, I think, I've been doing this my whole life. No, you haven't. You're lying, and you're charging people for something that you're ripping them off for. But, hey, that's okay, buyer beware. But, unfortunately, we're going to have to come back in a moment So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. As a dog owner, you know that dogs can eat just about anything. But when food becomes a health troublemaker, or your animal has been on antibiotics or heavy meds, or GI issues set in, your animal's gut may be out of balance and needs Goo Gut Rescue. Goo Gut Rescue is 100% natural and veterinarian prebiotic and probiotic formulated to rescue your animal's gut from bad bug dominance. Remember, your dog's total health begins with gut health. Don't delay. Visit GooGutRescue.com. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. And I am very happy to be here again. And I wanted to talk about something kind of cool now that I've been ranting and railing about stuff. I want people to understand and to think about the repercussions or the consequences of things. I was just helping a lovely, lovely man named Jeff who rescued a hound mix from 11th Hour Rescue. And he's a, just a gorgeous dog. I mean, he's probably plot hound, coon hound mix, just a beautiful dog. 
He's only five months old. But Jeff and his wife are already having problems and had been having problems after about four days. Now, here's the problem. He's not a canine behaviorist. I mean, I am, but I'm going to go help him. But they weren't ready for a dog like this, and they didn't know they were going to get a dog like this. Now, 11th hour is awesome because they actually take the dog back. They'll work with you right now. Um, I'm working with uh, the gentleman, Jeff, and his wife uh, with the dog so that they can keep the dog. And normally, though, most rescues, or I shouldn't say most, many rescues uh, don't do that. You take the dog and they're kind of like, oh, whatever, okay. But worse, because they're the better ones, the, the worst thing is shelters. You, they give you a dog. They just want to get the dog out. And rightfully so. They need to just get dogs out. But they're not thinking. They're not being aware and cautious of making sure that they're putting a dog into the right situation with a family who's going to be their forever home. So what they do is they set the dog up for failure. Well, all of you have been listening for a while. What's the United Canine Professionals, our motto? We set your dog up for success, not for failure. So what I'm teaching Jeff and his wife now is when their dog starts becoming a problem, instead of throwing a Kong to him or giving him cookies or giving him a bone, which he's getting protective of and territorial and possessive over, take him for a walk. Why do you do that? Why would you take a dog for the walk instead of giving him a Kong toy or some something stuffed with peanut butter in it? Well, the reason we do that is what does the walk for a dog, especially a rescue dog, what does it teach the dog? It teaches the dog to follow the leader, a kind and benevolent, kind and confident and calm leader. So if you, instead of giving your dog a Kong to knock him out when you're eating dinner or you're watching TV, before that, take him out for a little walk. Get him out there with a gentle leader or other very gentle device or a slip lead. Have him be beside you or behind you and enjoy your walk. Take him out for a walk. Enjoy having him. And just look around. Enjoy the the flowers. Enjoy the snow. Enjoy, you know, the neighbor with the open window and you can look into their house and see what kind of stuff they have. Whatever it is that floats your boat. But take that dog for a walk to teach the dog that you're the leader. Not in a mean way, in a good way. Now, we're not in the dominate the dog category because that's stupid. I'm sorry. You you know, it's not about being dominant to the dog. It's about being mentor to the dog. You have to teach the dog. How can you get mad at him if you've never taught him? It's like walking into someone's home and you you light up a cigarette, and the person hits you over the head with a two-by-four. Well, what happened? Well, you didn't have a sign-up that said no smoking, so he didn't know he couldn't smoke in there, so he started to light up a cigarette and smoke. Instead of being violent and aggressive and dominating the dog, or instead of, oh, here, give I, I give you a cookie because I'm from over the pond, I'm on the other side of the pond, and I'm going to teach you to throw cookies at it, He can't bite you if you're throwing cookies at him. Well, kind of that way if you think about it. But teach your dog what the rules are. Just teach him. So when you're eating dinner, you're going to use the rules that I've taught you through the last number of many, 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 many weeks. 
and also on my Friday show for the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. And you're going to start teaching your dog the rules of your house. This way, if you teach him the rules, then he will understand what's okay, and he'll understand what's not okay, and he will generally comply. Now, how does that work? What do you mean comply? Oh, yes, he's going to comply with my demands, yeah? No, it's about teaching. Same way we teach a child right and wrong, or we teach a child the alphabet. We don't get angry at the child, and if you do, you shouldn't be. We should be gentle with the child. We should be teaching the child, hey, I love you, buddy. I just have to teach you because you're not allowed to do this in the house. You're not allowed to play ball and throw the Frisbee. Sorry, honey, that's just the rule. Now, if you don't throw a Frisbee in the house, am I going to double your allowance or am I going to give you something special and throw you a party because you didn't do anything wrong? Here's like a million cookies because you didn't mess up. Um, no. That's obedience through obesity. We don't want to do obedience through obesity, okay? What we want to do is just gently teach the dog in a loving, reassuring way, building up the connection between us and the dog so that the dog not only knows that, hey, she's taking care of me, but the dog understands she's providing for my needs. My mommy is providing for everything I need, and my mommy is also protecting me from danger. That's why dogs follow me all over the place. Literally, I go in, and within five to ten minutes, every dog, no matter what the issue was, is sitting next to me and is either on got his belly up to me, and people are like, my dog never does that. He never puts his belly up. Or, well, my dog, you know, well, he's a, he's a Yorkie, and you know, he's very dominant, and so he pees all over my house. He even peed on my friend the other day, and it was very embarrassing. So... I, I have his pee pads, and I've put 13 pee pads in the bedroom. Like, my whole house is basically covered with pee pads, but he still pees in different places in the house. Now, obviously, that could happen, and it did. I was telling a young lady who has a Yorkie uh, who lives in New Jersey, I was telling her about my space alien house, and I will tell you my space alien joke. It's not a joke, unfortunately. And then I'm going to tell you how to fix these issues and why your dog is urinating in the house why your rescue dog has problems because he had the same problems before it's just that somebody else didn't take the time or care enough to change the dog so that the behaviors were gone so let me tell you about this little yorkie well two yorkies and these two yorkies lived literally a half a mile away from me and it was funny i walked in the house thinking okay there's two peeing yorkies i walked in and i really literally needed sunglasses there was aluminum foil, and my, one of my clients is going to be laughing her rear end off right now because this was you, um, and aluminum foil, like the 18-inch wide aluminum foil that you get at the big stores like Costco, BJ's, that big wide aluminum foil. They had a sheet of aluminum foil 18 inches wide coming from every corner, every wall, every kitchen chair, every dining room chair, the table, the cabinet, um, the back door, the front door. Um, the furniture, um, you know, literally even where the kids put their book bags. And this was all over the place. It was terrible. There was just aluminum foil all over. And I took a picture, and it looked like really kind of surreal because there was so much aluminum foil. Literally the whole house, 18 inches and down, was covered in aluminum foil, even where they, they put their backpacks and their 
their uh, clothes and their boots and all that. Well, stay tuned because I'm going to tell you the rest of the story about the space alien house. You won't believe what it looked like the day after I was finished. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. For your dogs, running beside your bike is more rewarding canine exercise than any walk. It's also more dangerous. Until now, introducing the amazingly stable Bike Toe Leash, the only safe dog biking attachment approved by the American Pet Association. The Bike Toe Leash installs in seconds on bikes, trikes, power chairs, and mobility scooters. No tools needed, and dogs learn it immediately. With a Bike Toe Leash, both dogs and rider can enjoy fun recreation anywhere, no matter what your ability level. To learn more and order your Bike Toe Leash, visit BikeToeLeash.com. That's BikeToeLeash.com. Bike Toe Leashes are made in the USA and ship worldwide. That website again is B-I-K-E-T-O-W-L-E-A-S-H dot com. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. And welcome back to From Shelter Dogs to Service Dogs with Janice Wolf. All right, as promised, what was I telling you about? Well, I was telling you about the space alien house. So just imagine you've got 18 inches of foil on the floor, and then you've got 18 inches of, uh, from the, the floor up halfway off of all of your cabinets, right? Everything was covered. Now, why did they do that? It was actually very ingenious because they didn't want all their stuff getting peed on. Well, the problem was after they prevented the dogs from doing it so that now it was aluminum foil, the dogs jumped up on the bed and they peed on the bed on the pillow, on the husband's pillow. Crazy. Or they called me finally after I met them and and they said, we've been putting up with this for six years. Six years? You've had urine-stenched clothing and furniture and and disgusting crud that you had to clean up from these two Yorkies that are having a pissing contest, which is where the phrase came from. I said, why didn't you call for help? She said, well, we've had obedience trainers. We had a behavioral vet that came out that we came to. We had two trainers. We had another behaviorist. I said, no, you didn't. You haven't had a behaviorist yet. Well, she used a lot of treats and cookies. Well, she's not a behaviorist. Behaviorists do not use food. Behaviorist changes what the humans do in order to change what the dogs do. So if somebody comes in and they got cookies or clickers or shot collars or choker chains, they're not a behaviorist. You can call yourself anything you want, and unfortunately it's not regulated. But United Canine Professionals, we are behaviorists. We are behavioral experts. As a matter of fact, my technique, natural canine behavior rehabilitation, is one that can be learned I won't say it's easily, but it is It is relatively simple because it focuses on what dogs do. And we're not talking about dogs body slamming each other down, dominate the dog, and we're not talking about cookie, cookie, cookie. Oh, look, honey, you can't get up. Yo, you're sitting because you're 40 pounds overweight. I've given you so many cookies because I've done obedience through obesity. And obedience is not the culprit. It's understanding 
that when you have a dog with a behavioral issue, it's like having a child with a behavioral issue versus a child with a physical issue. If your child broke his or her leg, you would take your child to an orthopedist to set the leg. You wouldn't take your child to a psychologist. But if you if your child has visions or, or issues or thoughts of suicide, you wouldn't take the child to an orthopedist to take the child to a psychologist or psychiatrist or social worker, somebody who could help the child in that perspective of what the child needs. Same thing with a dog. If your dog isn't sitting and lying down and doesn't do 82 tricks, I don't really care. I care that your dog's not biting somebody. I care that your dog's not biting me or my, my dog, not lunging at people, that the dog isn't running around at large, that the dog's not running out the front door, that the dog isn't, you know, knocking grandma down the stairs, that the dog's not biting a stranger or a family member. That's all I care about. I just want to make sure that every dog is well-behaved. Like humans, we should be well-behaved. It doesn't matter about training as much as behavior. Once you've gotten a great dog who's very well-behaved and well-mannered, you can do anything with them. That's what's so important to understand. I mean, remember, Wyatt's brother, Rambo's John Dillinger, with like a gazillion titles behind him, Nolan Melissa, have spent six years on He's amazing. He's a machine. But if he were dog aggressive or food aggressive or toy aggressive or were bad with other dogs or bad with other kids or people, whatever, he wouldn't excel at anything. The reason he's so good at the obedience is that he's such a stable, well-behaved, well-mannered dog, and that's from his breeding and the way I raised him. So, yes, I raised him till he was 12 or 14 weeks old, and I don't give my puppies out at eight weeks. That's another problem. When you get a rescue dog and the mama and the siblings have not been allowed to stay with that dog till 12 weeks, you can get very serious behavioral issues. Not every single dog, but enough that it really does matter to understand that you've got to make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reason. You don't, for whatever reason, you don't want to ever just do something without knowing what, how to do it or why to do it. So it brings me back to this very nice gentleman who has the um, hound mix from 11th Hour. Well, the, somebody else, and he says, well, you know, everybody's been giving me some really great, um, you know, information and, um, you know, they're telling me all different stuff, and I'm trying to do everything. But the problem is, one of the people, because who are you? I mean, you're you're an auto mechanic. Go fix my car. You don't know anything about dogs. Leave me alone. Don't do that. You're, you own a printing company. You don't know what the heck you're doing. You think you know, but you don't know what you don't know. So another one, don't, don't give me your advice. Oh, the lady at the checkout at the supermarket. Oh, yep, she's a behaviorist. Okay, good. And so is the kid who works at PetSmart or Petco. Yep, he's 17, he knows everything. Ask him because he's going to start forgetting everything from 17 on and he'll be as dumb as you by the time he hits 50. You know, you got to imagine all these people, everybody's a dog trainer, everybody's an expert. And the problem is that when you have methods that you're mixing, if you just, let's say, work with just behavior, let's say like my book, Happen, S-H-H-H, Happen, Canine Behavior 101. If you read my book, and you can get it on um, Amazon for your Kindle, uh, the paper books will be out um, very, very soon. We're just um, editing a chapter, so they will actually have a little more than the uh, other books that have uh, the uh, 
um, you know, the uh, e-books that we have out, and you can get free Kindle software so you can still read my book. Well, in my book, I highlight all the things you need to do to make sure that you're giving your dog what he needs. We don't want your dog to feel like a slave. You know what? My opinion is if I were an obedience dog, I would be a terrible obedience dog because unless you, you're holding out my favorite food or something I really, really want, I don't really care. I don't want to do it. So if you're taking a dog and you're, uh, you know, let's say, um, you know, through obedience through obesity and you're throwing a piece of food at them, well, my dogs literally I have to ask them to get off the bed or ask them to get off the chair to come eat their dinner. Now, if I go to sit on that chair, they'll get off out of respect for me. They're not afraid. They love me. They love me. They love me. They're not afraid of me, but they respect the fact that it's mine. And if you teach your dog, like this gentleman um, with uh, the uh, coonhound um, uh, plothound mix, what happened is this lady told him, oh, well, you should, when you're doing stuff, and you want to occupy him, go get him a Kong or a toy that you put food in, and he'll have to work at the food. The problem is, as soon as you give a dog a toy like that, and he's already food aggressive, toy aggressive, bone aggressive, you're teaching him that he owns it and that he's actually taking the food out of it without your help. You don't want that. So if you have enough time to go start playing tug-of-war with your dog, and I couldn't believe it because there's a big symposium for vet students, about teaching dogs how to play tug-of-war. I mean, it's fine for the best dog in the world. I mean, my dogs won't even play tug-of-war because as soon as I go to grab something out of their mouth or go toward them, not even to grab it, just to walk towards them, they drop it because it's mine. That's why my dogs don't eat xylitol gum and they don't get knives and they don't eat all kinds of crazy stuff. You just have to teach your dog the right way. Teach them behaviorally. And if you think you've got what it takes become a service dog or therapy dog or cancer detection dog trainer, or if you want to become a canine behaviorist, a real legit canine behaviorist, you can check us out at www.united, the letter K, the number 9, professionals.com under the Join Our Team, and you can look at all of our amazing programs we offer, and also www.merlinskids.org. And you can read about what we do. There will be an article in the Bergen Record um, that will be out. uh, We just did the interview today. That will be uh, probably out for either Wednesday or Sunday. And if you uh, look at For the Love of Dog or From Shelter Dog to Service Dog, um, our description or our Facebook group, you will also see that, uh, you know, those articles. But we have tons of media. and, And it's really important for us to get out there and to tell people and to educate people to do the right thing by your dog. Make sure you take good care of your dog. And have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog 